It's so great to be in church this morning. I, I, I love the second service because we have the opportunity to almost wait more on the presence of God and just, I always feel like that, much more just relaxing into the Holy Spirit. Um, this morning we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10, um, verse 46 to 52. So if you have got your Bibles, it'd be great if you could turn to that. Otherwise, it's up on the screen, what it should be. I'll just read the passage, and then we'll get into what we're into. Um, just for a bit of context, uh, we are looking at our miracle series, of course. We've just done um, Joshua and the sun standing still, and before that we did Exodus and the splitting of the Red Sea. And we've sort of done that Old Testament, and now we're moving in to the New Testament, and we're moving into the ministry of Jesus, the ultimate miracle maker, the only miracle maker. And here we find Jesus um, encountering a blind man on the walk between Jericho and Jerusalem. And this is just before the triumphal entry um, in Mark. Of course, Jericho um, is a, was a huge city at that point. Um, it's believed to be one of the oldest cities um, in the world. And at this point, it was a thriving sort of hub for priests, Levites, and Pharisees to almost live. And then they travel along the Jericho Road all the way up to Jerusalem, where they do two weeks on and then two weeks off. So you can imagine them almost doing that two week cycle. Anyone have that cycle at work? Do you actually, Nick? Oh, but I'm very je- jealous at least. Two weeks on, two weeks off sounds good to me. And we find Jesus um, walking down this road from Jericho to Jerusalem. So let's read the passage. So going from verse 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped, and he said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. Seems like a pretty obvious question. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. An amazing story. The, um, if you have the first slide up, Barry, that'd be great. Yeah, so as I said, we're, we're looking at miracles. And another just bit of context that I want to look at in this, in this verse and in this passage is it actually, you have to imagine this story is almost like a bookend. And the other bookend to this story is back in Mark chapter 8, where we find Jesus encountering a blind man at Bethsaida. And in between those two points, we have all of these people who are trying to see Jesus and struggling to see Jesus for who he really is. In chapter 9, we have the transfiguration, one of the biggest revealing of Jesus and the image of God that there is in um, the Gospels. And later on in that, we have the request of James and John. And all of these stories are almost about seeing Jesus or not quite seeing Jesus, working out who Jesus is. And finally, we get to this story of blind Bartimaeus. Ironically, the only person although he couldn't see physically, to see Jesus for who he truly is. And that brings me on to my first point, which is this. If you can have the slide up, Barry. 
see. I've, I've kept it really simple this morning, partly because I'm simple and I quite like something that I can sort of like take away and remember and put on a post-it. Um, so this is my first point and summed up with this word see. I'm going to be talking a bit about where faith comes from and how we can use our faith to go out into the world and to enable people to encounter God. And the first place, almost where Jesus, um, where we find faith, is when we see Jesus for who he truly is. Um, you may have remembered a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated 500 years since the Reformation. And John Calvin, who is obviously a big part of that, summarized the role of Jesus and why he came in three different ways. He said the first reason Jesus came was to be a prophet. Secondly, he came to be a priest. And thirdly, he came to be a king. And I find that a really helpful description. You know, he's a prophet. He's God's voice on earth, proclaiming God's coming. He's a priest, he's providing our atoning sacrifice, and he's the king ruler of the heavens and the earth. Now, prophet, priest, and king, it's quite, quite memorable, but I, I prefer to simplify it even more. And sort of like the thinking of where this theology has gone to is in the three R's. And if you're writing notes, this is a really good thing to write down. Um, the revealer, Jesus is the revealer, the ruler, and the reconciler. As the three things Jesus came to do. He's ruler of all. He has the authority over sickness and death. He's um, the only one on the planet who has that authority. The only one who can cast out sickness and death. None of us can do it through our own power. It's why we pray. When we're praying for people for healing, we go, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. It's all right. I get the same after my Sunday roast. We pray in Jesus' name, don't we, when we pray in healing. And we allow God to be the ultimate authority. There's no power in any of us. Instead, it's through us that Jesus can work. Secondly, um, Christ is the reconciler. And to reconcile, if you look it up in actually in almost like a really formal setting, it means to restore friendly relationships with. He's the restorer of our relationship with the Father. That's the whole point of the gospel is that Jesus came, died, rose again so that we could become um, children of God. He's the reconciler of all things. He's the restorer of our souls. And it's all of these three things, being a revealer, a ruler, and a reconciler that allows Jesus to heal or um, gives him that authority. He's the ruler of all things. You know, he's the ruler of our bodies. He has the authority over our bodies to heal. He's the only one who can call that out of us. He's the um, revealer. He's the revealer of God's plan and God's will on earth. And he's the reconciler. He's the one that brings things together. And that is what gives him the motivation to heal, isn't it? The fact that he wants to reconcile us to God. Um, it's interesting, we, we, on looking at Exodus, um, in Exodus 15, when they come out of the Red Sea, and when they are, all the Egyptians are sort of scattered and um, left to drown, the response is worship. And there's actually a song that you can read in Exodus 15 that has this amazing song of just praise to God. And eventually it almost finishes with this verse, and it says, For I am the Lord who heals you. For I'm the Lord who heals you. And I think, like, what has healing got to do with the exodus? But yeah, it's there. It's a healing. 
Uh, Jeremiah 30, 17 is another really key verse. And it says this, For I will restore you to health and heal your wounds. We have to see Christ for who he really is, don't we? He's our healer. And he wants to heal us and he wants to restore us. Faith comes from a place where we recognize that. Bartimaeus, um, as I said, is... I, I'm, I, I said seen at the last service, and I said he saw priests and Levites, and then not realizing that he was blind. Um, <laughs> so, but he heard priests and Levites, didn't he? Walking down the road, walking past him, he heard people of huge religious authority coming and walking down that road towards Jerusalem. However, none of that religion could heal him. You imagine the amount of times he may have, you know, shouted out and. You know, ask people, come on, can you heal me or can you help restore me? And you can imagine it says that he just lay down his cloak and he sat on it. It's almost like he's given up. But yet when Jesus walks along and Jesus walks past Bartimaeus and he hears the crowd and he hears the people there all sort of going, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Those whispers. He knows there's something different about Christ. You see, the difference between us and other faiths is we're not just religious. We don't just believe in practicing um, these duties that don't amount to anything. What we believe in and who we believe in is an alive God, a God that lives, a God that breathes, a God that speaks into our lives. And as Jesus walks past Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus realizes that, and he picks up on it. He goes, there is something different about this Jesus. There is something appealing. There's a power there. And he cries out. He cries out. He says, Son of David, recognizing Christ's Messiahship, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and, you know, he says, call him. And he um, gets him over. Bartimaeus, after all of these other people, the disciples who spent their whole sort of gospel prior to that, seeing Jesus in the flesh, Bartimaeus is the only person who recognizes Jesus as who he truly is. He knows he has the power to heal. He had plenty of options. Disciples didn't get it, and we can tell, yeah, you know, from the previous bits of the passage, they didn't get it at all. That's all well and good, um, seeing Jesus who he really is. That's, that's great. But um, we're on the wrong point. <laughs> can we go back one, Barry? <laughs> that's the next one, sneak preview. See. <laughs> um, but the practicalities of what, how this sort of looks how, how can we see Jesus for who he really is how do we know who Christ really is well there is um, there's a key way of doing that and that's reading your Bible immediately we can recognize who Jesus is through that we can see his character and see his word praying as well and it's having that time devoted to God in the mornings it's an amazing time and it, you know it sounds cliche almost and you know some of you might have been thinking you know that's not really a revelation Phil but that is honestly truly the best way we get to know Jesus is through his word and through interacting with him and almost the challenge that comes out of this is the question of where is your faith rooted Oswald Chambers, who's a fantastic um, theologian, said this. And he said, faith for my deliverance or faith for my healing is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly healed or not. I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. 
There's a difference between having faith in the fact that we can be healed and having faith in our healing and having faith in God. And this is like, it's a really subtle difference where our faith is dependent upon us being healed or whether our faith is actually believing in who God is. And we have to get that difference right. When we have faith, when we say we have a faith in God, it means that we have a trust in God and that we know who he is. God is love. That's what our faith should be. Our faith shouldn't be, I have a real faith that I will be healed. That's great. And I'm not saying that, sorry, I'll go back on myself. I'm not saying you shouldn't believe you should be healed or could be healed. What I'm saying is don't make that the be, and end, be all and end all of your faith. Your faith should be in the character of God and in his personality, in his love, in his kindness, in his power, in knowing him as a friend, as a savior, as a ruler, as a reconciler. That's where our faith should rest. Our faith should not rest on the healing, but on the healer, if you're going to really put it in simple terms. We know God is compassionate. However, if we choose not to heal, if you chose not to heal us, would you still have faith? Um, He's a real key sort of example of that over in Paul's letters where he talks about the thorn in his flesh. You know, Paul lived his whole life with that. The whole, his whole life with this thorn in, in his flesh. And you would think that would destroy his faith, but yeah, his faith wasn't dependent on that fact that that thorn could be pulled out, but rather it was dependent on the God who he worshipped. And what I'm not saying, and hear me out, is that God doesn't want to heal at all. God does want to heal. But where we base our faith and where we base our belief should be on him rather than what he does. Is that clear? God is good, isn't he? God's love. You know, our health and our bodies change, don't they? Get old. I've noticed it in myself. Only 22. joking <laughs> well am I no I have it's funny I've noticed my sight has gone I can't see quite as long as I as I used to be able to and I keep meaning to go and get some glasses but I don't want to quite go down that route yet because it's a slippery slope isn't it really might end up like Bartimaeus but anyway <laughs> our bodies can change but God doesn't and God's character doesn't and that's where our faith should be. Because if our faith is on something that changes, as our faith is on something that shifts, then it's not faith that is going to be substantial, is it? You know, you think instantly of the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand. When we put our faith onto something immovable, like the character of God, that's where our faith, you know, can withstand those stormy seas. So that's a real practical sort of way of building your faith, is making sure primarily that my faith is built on God, not on what he does. My second point on building faith here. So we had C and now we've got here. And it's amazing. In the passage, um, Bartimaeus is speaking out in a crowd, isn't he? You see, it, says, it sets the context of Jesus walking with this multitude out of Jericho. And Bartimaeus is sat on the side of the road and he's begging. And he shouts over this crowd, but then the crowd rebukes him. The crowd rebukes him. How many people here have had the crowd rebuke them when they've gone and wanted to receive ministry from Jesus or wanted to take that next step in faith? It's something we all go through. When we want to take a step in faith, Jesus, 
um, the crowd can rebuke us. The people, those voices can speak up saying, oh, I don't think you should do that. Oh, that's a bit risky. Not sure that's important enough for Jesus. That's a huge lie. Not sure I should bring that to Christ. But what matters is our response. And you notice quite um, amazingly, Bartimaeus' response to that rebuking, those people who are telling him to be quiet, he shouts all the more, and he gets more and more excited, and they're telling him to be quiet and shut up, and you know, just sit down. You're not worthy of Christ's presence. Whereas Bartimaeus goes, I can see where I can get healing, and I'm going to pursue that. I can see where I can be um, transformed, and I'm going to pursue that. And he ignores the crowd. There are so many voices in today's world, isn't there? Social media, um, the news is a big one. And negativity can get around so quickly and become so part of our culture. We have to make sure, if we want to protect our faith and make sure that our faith is being built in Christ doing things, that we listen to the right voices, that we put the right people around us who are going to increase our faith, who are going to lift us up. And what I'm not saying is don't meet up, you know, don't only hang out with Christians, that would be wrong. What I am saying is be around people who encourage you, who uplift you. Don't we want to be a church like that? When people come in, they feel encouraged and uplifted. They feel restored. They feel reconciled to the Father. Don't we want to be a church like that? My, my heart burns for that, you know? That people just come in and they, just like Bartimaeus does, they, they notice there's something different about this Jesus and there's something different about his people. When I come here, I just feel encouraged and uplifted. Wouldn't it be amazing if people said that? And it's so easy to be both that voice and to listen to those voices. It's so easy. You never know when you might be the voice in someone's life that they need at that moment for breakthrough. Focus on the right voices. It's amazing that Jesus, I think, says, my sheep listen to my voice and I know, um, I know them and they follow me. We have to make sure that we're following the right voices. His sheep know um, his voice. Practice the presence of God. Oh, what does that mean? Know when you're in God's presence. Practice the presence of God. If you're in your room, you know, it's amazing. For me, um, I really feel God's presence, and I really feel God speaking to me when I'm sat at my piano. Um, or I'm worshipping. And so sometimes I just, you know, I remember at uh, my university, I had the, this boshed out piano that was completely detuned, and it was, it was awful. But yeah, I'd, I'd go and sit at it for, you know, half an hour, didn't have to be long, and I'd just worship and just try and listen to the voice of God. Find where God speaks to you most, or where you feel like you can hear God the most. If it's where you're walking, if it's when you're doing dishes, whatever, practice the presence of God. Ask God to come into those places. Jesus recognized the cry of his sheep in that crowd. And Bartimaeus recognized the voice of his Savior. When we recognize Jesus' voice, our faith can be built. When we recognize when Jesus is commanding us to do something, our faith can be built and we can go out and be strong for Jesus and go and do great things. So, almost like, the, just to recap on so far, see Jesus for who he is. Listen to his voice and follow his steps. 
Lastly, um, I want to bring us on to the final point, which is do. We are all agents of Christ, ambassadors for Jesus on this earth. We all have opportunities every day where we could be speaking to the Bartimaeuses, where we could be focusing on the Bartimaeuses. But quite often, we could be focusing on the crowd around us, what people think, than actually stepping out and seeing the voice that is crying for help. We all have that opportunity. And if you're writing notes, I want you to write down three um, Questions, And I love to ask these to myself when I'm out and about. Um, and it's this. So the first one is, Jesus, if I had your eyes, where would I be looking? If I had your feet, where would I be going? And if I had your hands, what would I be doing? It's not good works that brings about our salvation, is it? It's grace and it's faith in Jesus that only he can bring about our salvation and only he can make us one with the Father and reconcile us with Jesus, with, um, with God. However, good works can bring about salvation in other people and that's where so many faiths get it wrong because they believe good works can get them up into heaven. There's nothing we can do. (laughs) There's nothing we can do at all. It is only through Jesus Christ and only through his sacrifice that we can actually be restored to to the Father and restored into relationship with him. But yet, we can do a lot for other people. We can be the hands and feet of Jesus. We can look for opportunities and we can do. This whole series, this whole series on miracles, what it's all about is increasing our faith to see God do the impossible in Merley, in Dorset, wherever. Um, if I can just invite Nick up. <laughs> That's all right. I, I want to provide an opportunity to respond. So if, if you could stand where you are, we're going to be do, going into a bit of worship in a moment. Hey, aren't these guys great? They're brilliant. They do a great job. But if you want to stand where you are, <laughs>